blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. Hello, welcome to Scabbles and Tequila. This is season two, episode 11, Owner of a Lonely Heart. I'm pretty sure that's the song, right? Did you go straight to the early thousands cover? I don't know. I think I only know that one. Owner of a lonely heart. It's when everything went like slightly house music. Oh, no. Old, old one then. Okay, no, so I immediately went to the new one. Um, but hi, everyone. Welcome to Scalpels and Tequila. I think this might be my favorite intro to the show. It was the second we pressed record. Tamsin asked me out on a date. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff coming up in Melbourne, and I'm trying to organize my month, and there's so many shows I want to see, and it's difficult. I am in the same boat and I've been kept very busy these last week or two with our Instagram, I must say. Thank you all so much for writing in and reaching out. I am glad that everyone's having some big feelings uh, about this season and the other season we're recording at the moment. And we're seeing lots of likes and reviews uh, and ratings on our Spotify and Apple podcast. So thank you all so much for that very lovely thank you so much it's making us feel not so lonely I know you're trying to do a really good segue but I do want to say it does make me feel like we have a little community of people to talk about this show with because that was the whole point in the beginning well that's it was a segue but that's exactly what I mean Mm. like I've suddenly got all these people that I'm gossiping with about uh Grey's Anatomy and having chats and that's really nice so nice so nice so thank you. I don't just have Tamsin to talk about Grey's Anatomy with, but I do want to do a cheeky little personal shout out. One of my friends is just an absolute goddess and she's never watched Grey's Anatomy in her life. And because we're doing this podcast, she called me the other day, tell me that she has been biting her tongue for the last few months because she's been watching Grey's Anatomy for the very first time and listening to our podcast alongside and she felt really bad because she wanted to message me all the time to talk about it but she didn't want to bother me and I'm like that's literally why I made the podcast so Sabelle please at any time give me a call shoot me a message (laughs) I'm so excited you're into it want to talk about it always want to talk about it that is the whole point the whole point of this episode is about loneliness We follow the case of the quintuplets, Lucy, Charlotte, Julie, Emily, and Kate. Each of our interns fight to keep one of the quints alive. Their mug, their muggle, (laughs) their mother is struggling with a deep guilt that their illness is all her fault. Addison takes this opportunity to try a teaching technique taught to her by Dr. Weber. Christina treats a patient from a state penitentiary who has swallowed razor blades to escape the loneliness of solitary confinement. Alex has been banished to solitary himself while he struggles to find a cure for Mr. Martin and his failing relationship with Izzy. George again works with Nurse Olivia to administer leeches to his woodsman patient. Last week, everyone was sharing in carnal attraction. This week, we suffer the aftermath of soul-crushing loneliness. Yeah. Sums it up. Meredith's monologue today is all about loneliness and the whole episode is all about loneliness. She says, the Beatles asked the world a simple question. They wanted to know where all the lonely people came from. My latest theory is that many of the lonely people come from hospitals, more precisely the surgical wing of hospitals. 
As surgeons, we ignore our own needs so we can meet the needs of our patients. We ignore our friends, our families, so we can save other people's friends and families. At the end of the day, all we really have is ourselves and nothing in this world can make you feel more alone than that. And then there's a little shout out to John Donne, who I studied in literature. He's my favorite poet, which is a bit cute. And he did come up with the phrase, it's part of a poem, but no man is an island. And that is where we start our episode today. And it's nice. It is a follow on from last week's episode and we get all of our interns. As Tamden said, all of our interns with their babies. Um, But our day really begins with some rounds and all of our interns sort of getting assigned for the day. Everyone has a baby that is their priority to check on, but a few of our interns get a different patient. And I know normally we follow the cases, but because everyone's so intertwined this week, we're going to follow along with the days of each of our interns. So the other following follow-over case that we have this week is Robert Martin, who was Alex's patient last week. He's currently in a coma um, because his pituitary gland um, that Alex treated incorrectly um, has basically just gone nuts and it has caused his brain to become dehydrated. And Derek's furious with him and basically tells him to do everything that he can to try and um, find something to help him. So Alex is already on the outside of the rest of his group of friends, so he spends this day, as I said, in solitary, trying to research and figure out if there's anything that can possibly be done to help Robert and alleviate the, the pressure of him having killed a patient. Because his baby is um, Kate. I do want to talk about the babies if we are going to start there. Oh, actually, quickly, quick little note before we even get into this. At the very start of this episode, when, you know, people are kind of, it's the morning, everyone's kind of arriving to hospital, we get this really brief moment where Derek and Addison are talking about Derek's living situation. And we learn that Derek and Addison are so rich. Addison just casually says that, like, she moved here from a brownstone Central Park apartment. Brownstone? And they also talk about their house in the Hamptons. And how old are these guys supposed to be? Like, mid-30s? Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's got to be mid-30s, just by based on their age and how long they've been doctors, because they're attendings. Oh, are they? I reckon they're, like, mid to late 30s. But holy dooly, that is dollars. Like, you know, you know, they're rich, obviously, because they're both surgeons, but that sort of money is, oh, that's mind-blowingly rich. No, often surgeons and doctors don't become even a little bit wealthy until they're in their 50s, especially in the States, because they have so much debt to pay off. And as interns and residents, you're basically paid like an apprentice. They have no money. So how the heck... Either of them became so wealthy, especially since neither of them work in private practice. They all work for the hospital. And it's only if you work in private practice. And once you're sort of, I don't know, 15 years in the trade, do you actually start making money? So none of this makes any fucking sense. Where did your dollars come from? Mind-blowing how rich these two are. Anyway, now we can talk about the babies. So there are five quintuplets. 
and we have five interns. So basically all of our interns have a baby. And I spent most of this episode trying to connect (laughs) what's wrong with the baby and what's going on for our interns and their personal lives. Because I was like, surely there's a connection and you're pulling a face. And I think I, it's, you know, I've drawn a few. There isn't. Long. Is it? I've drawn a few long straws. (laughs) Okay. So George has Lucy and Lucy was a baby that needed a brain shot. And George also at the very start, they're kind of all talking about why their baby is the best. And they're kind of pretending it's a little bit of a competition. And George says that Lucy smiles. She's so smart. She's already smiling. And I mean, that's kind of George, you know, he's very like mopey, happy go lucky. No, he's not. He's mopey as heck. It's why you dislike him. All right. So wrong on one. Secondary, Meredith has Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Meredith has Charlotte. And Meredith is saying that because Charlotte has little baby forehead wrinkles, that means that she is serious and smart. Meredith. Which Meredith is, mm-hmm. both those things. And also her lungs are underdeveloped, so she needs a special mask to help her breathe. And then Addison makes this comment and she says, just when you think they're getting better, they slip right back. And I think this inability to breathe and this, you think you're getting better and then you get worse again. I think this does relate to Meredith and how she's been feeling about Derek. I think Derek and Addison getting together and being around the hospital has kind of, you know, Meredith's been drowning in her grief and in her sadness quite a lot. And although she seems a lot perkier this episode, for sure, I think that's where this slip right back comment happens. Yeah. Today, the presence of Derek seems sort of jovial and a little bit lighthearted, whereas before she was crumpling under the weight of his presence. Yep. So I think Meredith needing some help to breathe. I think that's, that's a good way to put it. Not too far yeah. from some symbolism right. of her life. Well, look, I'm I'm looking at it now and I think I might give you points for the next one because our third baby belongs to Izzy and that's Emily. Now, Emily was the baby who was having heart troubles and they need to reconstruct her left heart chamber and repair her aorta. Exactly. So half of her heart is broken, broken, basically, and that is Izzy this episode. And at the start when they're kind of bragging about their babies, Izzy says, Emily Emily is so strong, she's holding onto my finger and she won't let go. And I think that also is kind of connected to how Izzy operates this episode. She won't let it go about Alex and how upset she is and what Alex did. She won't let it go that this idea that Alex betrayed her and she also won't give up on Emily. Well, she also won't let it go, the idea that all of her friends also have to alienate and hate Alex. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but she does get to work with Dr. Burke again, and I am kind of sitting here being like, I hope they get to work together more. I know Addison's pulling for Izzy, but I think Dr. Burke should be as well. They work really well together. Yeah, they really do. But Izzy also won't let go of this baby. She has a really hard time when um, mm-hmm. her and Burke are in surgery. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'll give you that. That's 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 mm-hmm. one and a half out of three. Christina and Bailey have uh, Julie. And Julie was our baby where her organs were in the sack outside of her body. Yeah. So my the little long bow I drew for this one is that Christina is really not connecting with her emotions and her this idea of like not connecting with her gut feelings and her heart. She's questioning herself. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that either. Just thinking about in terms of we see Christina in the morning and Burke has made her breakfast and she just has absolutely no time for Burke. 
she just wants to get into surgery. And, you know, she's kind of this character that is seen as maybe a little bit unfeeling. She's not very good at talking to patients. She's not very good at empathizing or showing much emotion. So that that was my connection that I was kind of making up in myself for Christina and her connection to Julie. If that's where you're going with it, if that's where you're going with it, then I'd probably go Mm. a little bit more literal in it that they say that half of the organs didn't want to go back in, so they've got to try again to make them fit. Yeah. And this episode, to me, appears like Dr. Burke is trying to make Christina fit into his lifestyle and into what he's looking for in a partner. But the expectation that she would have time to sit down and have breakfast, even though she says, I need to get to rounds before everyone else to get the good cases. You know that. Mm. Um, So he's trying to get her to fit a little bubble. Um, All right. So I'm going to go with with two for five. It's a fun game though, isn't it? It's a fun game. (laughs) And then our final baby belongs to Alex and that's Kate. And Kate's fine. She's doing well. She's just really underweight. Are you going to say that Alex is the, the, uh, the baby that, goes unnoticed because everything's mostly fine. Yes, that is where I'm going. Yeah, it's basically like no one's seeing him and what he's going through. No one knows that he failed this test. No one knows that he was in such a bad place when he slept with Olivia. No one's kind of paying him any attention for what's really going on with him. Yeah, just because he's mostly fine doesn't mean he's optimal and that's kind of where Kate is. Like, she's not in dire need of attention like everyone else, but she's still in a pretty fucking rough spot. Not an immediate danger, but it's still looming. Exactly. So Alex is probably the easiest um, person to discuss, and since we ended on him. So because his Quint, Kate, is doing quite well, he still has to look after another patient from last week, and that's... Mr. Robert Martin, who you will remember as being the patient who drank out of the water bowl. Alex prescribed uh, Mr. Martin the wrong dosage of medication. And basically what's that done is it's dehydrated his brain to the point where he's now in a coma. And Derek is furious and puts on a real guilt trip at Alex about this, which just blew my mind considering that we see time and time and time again how much losing a patient this early in your career deeply affects our interns. Yeah, how much toll it takes on people's mental health. I mean, we have just seen a really great example of that in season 18 with what's happening with Levi. So we do get to kind of explore that idea again now with Alex. Alex basically begs to be back on this case because Derek doesn't want to let him. But Derek has also kind of given up, said there's nothing to be done, Mm -hmm. fine, gives Alex the case and Alex researches and researches and then basically accosts Derek. As Derek looks like he's about to go fishing, he's wearing like a plaid shirt and like a a fluffy fishing vest. Oh my God, Nick would love this outfit. He would- He He basically looks like Nick. (laughs) And Mm. then- Alex runs up to him and has a pretty huge list of surgeries and ideas and potential ways that might help this guy and Garrett. Potential Um, saves. And Derek just says no to all of them. Just shuts him down. And he also says, you need to come to terms with the fact that you've killed a man and that's on you. Bro, that is not how you handle this teaching moment. 
No, it's pretty awful, especially because of how much work Alex has put in to find and have some ideas. Derek's giving him absolutely nothing. And Alex is like, here's all these options. Can't we try something? And just is getting shut down. In the nastiest way possible as well. Like, have some professionalism, Derek. We don't speak to colleagues that way because, look, at the end of the day, these people are your colleagues. And if you want them to be more reliable and better doctors, you have to teach them how to be that. Not just scold them. If You're scolding someone for putting in the effort and putting in the work. So the next time one of these cases happen, do you think they're going to they're gonna try that hard if they know that's your reaction to when they do? Negative reinforcement is just not the way to go. It's really disappointing. It's really disappointing. And then so Alex, the next day, just sits at this man's bedside in a coma and Derek basically says to him, you should go do something else. This is pointless. You should go home is what he says. And Alex says no one should die alone. Derek does try to be soft and empathise with him and tells him about the first person I killed. I was a second-year resident. He doesn't say much, though. He just says... I remember the first guy I killed. His name was James Hansen. And then doesn't give us a story. No. So then we just know that that's where Alex is going to stay. Yeah. But he spent all day trying to talk to Izzy. He even tries to talk to Meredith. And Meredith is like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to give you a hand. You're obviously struggling. And as she does that, Izzy walks in and sees them together. And then they have a very unpleasant conversation in the hallway where Izzy basically accuses her of being a shit friend and trying to sleep with uh, with Alex. And Meredith obviously runs with, I'm not going to sleep with him. Nothing was going on. I was just trying to help him with his case. And then Izzy slut shames her and says, sleep with the guy for all I care. You've slept with everybody else. <sighs> mm, which is so annoying. Izzy. It's just the lowest bar. Izzy. It's just the lowest bar. Yeah. It's the lowest bar. Yep. She needed justifications for her anger, which I'm guessing she knows wasn't valid. But in the moment, she's mad and she needed a reason for it. And that's the reason she put. And obviously we don't agree with it. No, we definitely don't agree with it. But I do understand that Izzy is really, really upset. Hurt people hurt people. That's what's going on. And then Izzy tries to talk to Christina about it and George about it. And they make some good points. And they're just kind of saying, you guys were never officially dating. Mm -hmm. You'd made out a couple of times. Which is true, but also not helpful when someone's that hurt and that upset. That's not going to. And look, she does speak to Meredith about it because her friends are trying to be supportive in the way of saying, you know, you're too good for him. You didn't deserve him. He's a snake. That's what you get, blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to make light of it. And Izzy ends up confiding in them all later that look when she talks to George actually and says, look, when you were dating Olivia and this happened to you, I didn't say any of that. I supported you. You've all been condescending me this whole time. And all I needed was a little bit of support from my friends, but you've all just turned around and acted like, I was an idiot this whole time. And then she has a similar conversation with Meredith and she says, when Derek broke up with you, I never once said you're better off without him. It's condescending. I was just there. All I ever am is there for you guys. 
And the one time that I need you, just go away, Meredith. It sounds like she still feels like she's being alienated or she's on the outside of this relationship, this friendship. That makes me sad because she's really not. They've really all cemented their friendships now. I mean, even in this episode, we get Christina and George having a little moment, just the two of them. And Christina and Izzy having this little moment, just the two of them. So they really have cemented this friendship group. So it is really sad that Izzy still feels like that. Alex's person, uh, sorry, Izzy's person was Alex, and she's just lost her closest friend. So um, she's back to being on the outside because it's just the four of them again. Yeah, and she's also quite hurt at this idea that Meredith is becoming friends with Alex when Izzy was really his only friend and Izzy has been kind of fighting for them to see the real Alex for so long and everyone has kind of just shut her down for it and made her to feel really stupid that Alex isn't kind of worth being friends with and he's bad and now that they're starting to become but friends now they with are. him, they're seeing, they're seeing the light that Izzy sees in him. She's just a bit jealous and upset and it's hard because, of course, if you're the one to stand up and stick up for someone for so long and you don't get to be there when that person is, like, starting to be welcomed into this group, I don't know, it's just... It's a really hard situation. When Izzy says this line, you're better off without him. Uh, When Izzy says this line, I never once said to you that you're better off without him because it's condescending. I don't totally understand how that's condescending, but I I believe that it must be. But I thought maybe you could enlighten me. You're so good at this stuff. I, I, because I feel like that's a thing I would say to people. And now I, hearing this, I'm questioning if I should just stop saying that. Basically what you're saying is I've always felt like the person that you've chosen as your partner wasn't a good fit and I never told you. I've never believed in your choices in a mate. I've never believed in your judgment of character. I've always had reservations and I've never told you. So I've been um, omitting the truth from you for years. So I haven't respected you and our friendship enough to tell you how I feel about your partner. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is a really hard, that's a really awful thing to say. It is. That's why I don't say it anymore. If, if someone's been talking to me about their partner and I've said, Hey, look, you're in a shitty situation. I'm here for you. If you want to get out of it, if you don't, I will listen, but know that this is where I stand. Look, I've had some people that don't speak to me for a while because of that. But at the same token, those people tend to come back later and say, Hey, can I have a hand? I'm really struggling with this. Um, what can we do to fix it? And I'm like, cool, baby, I got you. Let's, let's see where you want to go with it. And that's fine. So you think it, you think it is better to tell someone if you really, really believe that they're with someone who is bad, um, not good for them or treating them un like treating them badly. A lot of the time you can't see it when you're in it. Totally. You got to figure out the way around doing it. But it's such a hard thing to do to be able to say something to someone if they're in. Look, I had a feeling that a friend of mine was in a relationship that wasn't entirely healthy. I had nothing to substantiate that until I was at their house. I went to give her something that he didn't approve of and he was standing behind her and I didn't know that he didn't approve of this. And as I was handing it to her, she looked at me and did that that face that only women know where the eyes bulge in fear and they shake back and forth saying, 
don't do it, yep. don't do it, don't say anything, don't oh say gosh, anything. I know exactly and it's too what late you're at that point. About. And I realized that my friend was scared of her partner's reaction. And I was the last person at that house after a dinner party. And I was concerned about leaving her alone in that mm. house. And that's when I was like, okay. But the way that I approached the topic was, hey, I need to let you know that I'm having some feelings about the other night. And the way that you responded made me quite anxious and made me very scared for your safety. Is everything okay? Why did you have that guttural reaction? Mm-hmm. And then I found out the kind of behavior, behavior that her partner was exhibiting towards her in regards to this topic. Um, and it was super gaslighty, which pointed out, super contradictory, super hypocritical. And I was yep. like, look, X, Y, Z, is this behavior happening anywhere else in any other situation? Well, this, this, this. And I was like, okay, cool. I don't know how supportive I am of this relationship anymore. Obviously, you're trying to work it out and I'm here to listen in any way that I can. But this is looking like it's damaging your mental health. Um, so in that situation, then, do you did you just have to accept that maybe you wouldn't be in this person's life as much for a little while? Mm-hmm. That's so hard. People will take it however they take it. Um, I didn't accuse her partner of anything. I didn't accuse her of anything. I simply expressed my feelings in the situation and offered assistance if she needed any. And that's where it gets a bit different. I wasn't offering judgment. I didn't say, I think you should break up with them. I did say that I didn't think that that was appropriate behavior or an appropriate response. And by appropriate, I mean her response was not a response that I believe someone should have around their partner. No, I I, I would never say that. That's not my place at all. But You're thinking about someone specifically now, aren't you? Yeah, look, expressing your own concerns about behaviours you've seen, I think is fine. Straight up saying to someone, you should break up with them. It's not your fucking business. That's fine. Just make sure you let them know that you'll be there for them. I'm here for you if you ever need to talk about anything. I just wanted to express some concern in the behaviour that I saw for you. And you're not accusing it of being about the relationship. You're not accusing it of anything. It's just, hey, you never know. They might have a thumbtack in their shoe and they've just stood on it at the exact time where you spoke about the thing and that's what caused the reaction. Who fucking knows? So Izzy's bad day. Yeah. So I was just thinking about what we'd said before was that they decide to close her up. And Izzy has a really big reaction to Burke closing up. The baby and Addison's in the room because Burke had Addison in to confirm that they were going to close Emily up. And Izzy gets very, very emotional and frustrated that they're not doing more. And Addison picks up on this that Izzy can't even stay in close. She's shirking her responsibilities as an intern because she's so attached to this baby and so frustrated. So Addison goes and has a very funny conversation with Weber about what to do about this. It's tricky. Oh, yes. And it's really tricky to watch because Addison Addison is basically asking permission from the chief to, she doesn't explain exactly what it is, but to do some sort of test on Izzy. A teaching technique. The chief, yeah, like I'm going to do that cruel trick that you did on me when I was an intern. 
So does that mean that Addison interned at Seattle Grace because Webb has been there his entire career? She never mentions excitement at coming back to this hospital. That's so true. But then she knows, but she knows Weber. No, Derek and Weber are friends, but mm. she just said that Richard did this to her when she was an intern. Unless Richard did a stint in New York. But it kind of requires a going back to when he, the first episode, when when he's talking to Derek and when he's hiring Derek. Because he does, they do talk about how they, they do talk about how they know each other maybe. They're friends, but they must be friends through Addison. Again, Maria, if you've got any insight, hit us up. We'd love to know because this was a really tricky twist in the timeline. But at the end of the day, Weber's teaching techniques, not cute. And the fact that Addison decides that's the way to approach the subject also. Teaching torture. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. Addison says to Izzy that they are going to do an operation on the baby in the morning. So Izzy has to stay again and be on call, even though she just came off like a night shift and then a day shift and she's being asked to stay again, which is not okay. It will be 24 hours by now and she's being asked to stay overnight again. I know. She's been there for the whole day running around getting the quintuplets prepped for surgery. Addison basically threatens her and says that baby better be alive when I get here in the morning. And it's basically all on Izzy to monitor this baby, keep this baby alive and do anything to keep this baby alive. So. But Izzy asks her, when should I update the mother? And Addison very quickly says, no need to do that. I've already done it. And we saw a glimpse of Addison talking to the mother and the mother crying So my theory is Addison already told the mother that Emily wasn't going to live Mm -hmm. through the night, which is why she told Izzy not to report to the mother. agree. We do get a little moment of Addison's face as Addison turns around and Addison looks so upset because when she's talking to Weber, she mentions that if she does this, Izzy won't like her anymore. She doesn't say it in those exact words, but that's what she's hinting at because it causes Chief to say being a surgeon is lonely and you're not here to make friends. It's like Addison really thought her and Izzy made this really nice connection and Addison has no friends here. Well, we haven't seen that she's connected with any of the other surgeons or nursing staff or doctors in general at the hospital. No, of course not because she came in and the hospital basically was whispering and gossiping about the fact that Derek's wife has returned and Derek has been cheating on her. So she's kind of known as this devil woman wife that's been cheated on. Well, no wife that cheated on and that cheated. Yeah. Well, both. She's just, she's this a gossip leper has just been she's around the hospital. Leper. And the only connection she's made is Izzy. And she can't make friends. Yeah. And that's really sad. And, yes, this is the only connection she's made. And to do this horrific some, teaching method, mm. it's going to re- going to end up with Izzy not liking but her very much she- because basically Izzy is just on call all night, there for the baby, and it's the machines are beeping and Izzy is pushing Epi and giving her all sorts of drugs, 
then the baby's stable for a moment and then it's back to the beeping and back to the pushing happy and then stable again. And it's up and down, up and down all night until the morning. This nurse, 10 points, is doing so well and trying to be so encouraging to Izzy and help out in any way she can. And we all know nurses are the most experienced people at the hospital. I reckon this nurse clocked it two days ago that this baby wasn't going to make it. Yeah, I think so too. But they're just putting this tiny baby's body through so much shit all night until Izzy is woken up in the morning and learns that the baby died. The baby died half an hour ago. She's not woken. She's specifically not woken up in the morning. The poor girl has passed out at the end of this baby's humidity crib, not wanting to leave its side at all. And she suddenly wakes up and she sees the nurse that's been helping her all night who looks devastated and asks where the baby is. And she says they took it away. Do you think that was Addison saving? It looks like Addison's punishing Izzy. Do you think that's Addison saving Izzy from having to see the dead child? I think it's a mixture of that and also just letting Izzy sleep. Because I think that would have been soul crushing. And then the reasoning for this whole this whole thing is only you have to learn distance. You'll be a better doctor for it, is Addison's words. Although I will say Izzy is crushed and is apologizing and saying it's all of her, all her fault. And the first thing that Addison says, it wasn't your fault. She was going to die. Well, once we cut her open, we knew she didn't have a chance. Like she immediately corrected that in Izzy, whereas Derek did not do that with Alex, not even a little bit. So I will but give her props to, for that. Yeah, but, but it, it was is a cruel totally teaching. different situations. What happened with Alex wasn't a cruel teaching moment. What happened with Alex was like an accident. Alex mm-hmm. accidentally said the wrong it was, it was just a like a one, he mixed up one word and it completely changed how much of whatever was being given to this patient and that's what killed him. But Izzy seems okay with this teaching technique until Addison says, you have to learn to distance yourself and she's like, she's fine with it. Until Addison says, you will be a better doctor because of this. Yeah. And woof, is Izzy furious. Because I would be furious too, because I don't think this does teach distance. I don't know what this teaches, but it's not to be more distant from the patients. I actually think how connected to the patients Izzy gets is part of her superpower. But it also breaks you into a thousand pieces. If that patient passes away, they need distance. You absolutely need distance. So then why why is breaking her into a thousand pieces because this patient died? Why is that going to teach her distance? Because she's showing her the way that it feels when you get too attached. It's not okay either way. And she's saying don't get this attached again because you'll feel like this. Yes. Mm. Like you saw difference in her face when she walked away from Izzy for assigning her this task. I saw deep regret. She wasn't sad that she was going to potentially lose a friend. I think she felt fucking awful because she knew what she was about to put Izzy through because she'd been through it herself. Yeah, definitely. She didn't want to do this. Addison didn't want to do this at all. So it is very confusing why she does. I don't I don't really believe that this because she believes that it made her a better doctor. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. You know what else I can't believe though? 
How much talking in front of patients George does today. And he finally gets called out for it. Olivia is the first person to step up and say, you cannot talk like that in front of patients. And I wanted to give her a little clap, little snaps for Olivia. I was going to do the same. (laughs) Honestly, finally. Finally, someone has said something. So George's quint is Lucy. She had the brain chunt and she's fine. She's just chilling. Her and Derek, uh, George and Derek are monitoring her. So he gets assigned my favorite patient today. And that's Mr. Carl Murphy. And Carl Murphy is a man who enjoys hikes and trekking through the wilderness. Um, But because of that, he got melanomas uh, on the top of his ear, his fingy, which was a weird one, and his nose. Um, But the graphs are all filling with blood. So they pull out a very um, medieval medieval (laughs) treatment technique and they get some leeches on. Mm-hmm. This makes me feel so squeamish. I reckon I'd be as squeamish as Olivia in this scene. And, well, as yeah, Olivia is the one who's got to apply them. And George walks in to just make sure she's doing her job. And she says, I'm really sorry, I still get a little squeamish around leeches. But Mr. Georgie and George Poo, says, that's not what either. Is that a slut shame? Is that Which a is cheeky a little slut shame? Alex, it is. Yes, it is. It's very rude. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the sentence that makes Olivia give him some shit. Um, weird little tidbit is that they actually had um, real leeches and fake animatronic leeches for this scene, which I find really funny. They had like... I wonder if they're the same ones that they used in Harry Potter. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be. Because... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like the same animatronics. So, I think it's in the second Harry Potter book. Weasley tries to cast a spell that'll make Malfoy vomit leeches. No slugs. Slugs. Um, but apparently, those were like silicon plastic animatronic slugs because they mm. wiggled, and um, they were all flavored. <laughs> like the goo that's around them was like a vanilla flavored cool. gel, and there was. Like four of them and they all had names. So I wonder if it's the same gelatinous goo that they used for the the little well, leeches. Apparently the leeches, the fake leeches they had on set did not look real enough. So they ended up mainly just going with the real ones. And thank goodness for the actor playing the patient in this scene because that was a real leech on his nose. So they... <gasps> actually gave him a prosthetic nose filled with cow's blood so that the leech would have some blood to suck out of the fake nose. Yes. That's why he was so happy. That sounds like the the weirdest day at work you've ever had. I know. And apparently it was really hard to get it to connect and a few times the leech, the real leech, was falling off and there was one take where it fell into this guy's mouth, which makes me feel sick. And apparently he was a really good sport about it and just – Picked it out and popped it back on his nose. But uh, I wonder gross. if uh, Olivia's reaction was uh, genuine. Definitely. And then, oh, well, wait, just, 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 just live in my happy land. She's an actress who's having a touch of fucking leech. Her other actor comes in and she drops it and it's accidental. And this is all ad-libbed where she says, I'm still not good with the leeches. And George says, that's not what I've heard. And then they all laugh, but they've cut that. But they decided to keep it so they make it serious afterwards. <laughs> it's my little happy land. You're welcome. It adds nothing <laughs> to the story. 
But Olivia doesn't stand up for bullshit. Kind of like with Alex last week, she just turned to Derek and said, sorry, you're wrong. Um, I won't be blamed for this. And this week she says, hey, George, that was heckin' inappropriate. Yeah. But when George comes back to check on Mr. Murphy and take his leeches off. And it's so cute. He wants to take all the leeches home because otherwise they'd just be medical waste. And I'm so glad I would have done the exact same thing. It is so rude to pluck a little leech from the wild. They're they're definitely grown in a lab. And then just like throw it in the bin when you're done with it. I think that's so fucked up. Well, they are going home and they're going to be released at a little creek. Really, really sweet. We also learn that this man is pretty lonely as well because he's divorced but still wears his engagement ring. And I think this connection that he makes with the leeches is... Just kind of showing us that he wants connection. So George and Olivia are back in there and Mr. Murphy says, time for you kids to kiss and make up. I think he just wants the gossip because they immediately launch into it over him again. I, I would also want the gossip if I'm in the hospital. 100%. Yeah, he definitely wants the gossip. Yeah, I was so bored of George in this episode. I just, like, don't have any time for this whingy complaining anymore. I'm done. Well, neither neither does Mr. Murphy because he just comes back at him and says, living with a woman who can't love you back is way lonelier than living alone. So he basically tells George, just fucking suck it up. If she doesn't love you back, you're just causing yourself misery. Just be alone. He's having so much fun being in the hospital and surrounded by people and surrounded by life and gossip because I guess he's just used to hiking, hiking solo. And he's not the only person really enjoying not being alone this episode and being around and having people to talk to. Because our next patient, Mrs. Ferguson, who is a prisoner who's been in solitary confinement for a month, she swallowed four razor blades just to have a few days in hospital so she ha- can be around people and talk to people. She's basically getting a vacation from solitary confinement. And sh- she's being treated by the one the one of our interns that refuses to make a human connection with any of their patients, mm-hmm. which is just the most devastating. Because I, I this, this episode... Like this being brought up is a, an issue that I just can't believe so many people aren't more concerned about. Solitary confinement. It is so cruel. Yeah. It is a form of torture. Yeah. It should be 100% illegal. You should not be. No, no, not for any more than a couple of days. And if that's one thing that I took away from Orange is lockdown, the new black. Oh. no, <laughs> lock, just lockdown itself. Mm-hmm. Just how awful our prison system is. Like we were all going fucking nuts and feeling completely and utterly devoid of humanity. And we still had the internet and Netflix and never ending connection. Can you imagine how psychologically fucking barbaric prison is? And then on top of that, solitary confinement for any longer than a two to three day period? Absolutely not. You have to have no entertainment in solitary. Unless you're in long-term permanent solitary. It's completely mind-destroying. There's numerous studies that prove this. It's completely torture. It's horrific. So I totally understand why she's doing this, just to get to hospital. 
And she's obviously done it multiple times because she says, don't worry, I do it the way I always do. I've wrapped up the blade. It'll be fine. A couple of days. She comes out of surgery and is fucking so upset to find out that 36 hours is all they can give her outside of solitary. So she asks Christina if she'll just, just stay and talk to her for a bit. And you can really tell how desperate she is to talk to people because Christina asks her the bluntest, kind of rude first question, which is, like, why did you kill three people? Kill three people. And this woman just tells her, doesn't go into too much detail, but she does tell her a little story. And I think for this woman just to tell her story to this doctor that she doesn't know, hasn't even had any small talk with, I think that proves this point about how desperate she is to talk to someone that she'll just tell them anything. She explains she was high on meth and that her boyfriend was doing a robbery and if she didn't help out, he was going to leave her. (sighs) And that story in itself is... I would have been all alone. Really sad and feels very empty and hollow because this poor woman, I mean, she's all alone now. It was like a lose-lose situation. And Christina just says to her, well, being alone can't be that bad. And you can tell this woman's just completely broken by that statement because she knows exactly how bad it feels to be alone. Letting your boyfriend leave you and being alone back then isn't that bad, like compared to how alone you are now. Well, look, it's, it's bad enough that she decided to eat a light bulb. But look, the light bulb works for this patient she gets what she wants out of it which is she gets to stay in the hospital for it was going to be 10 days but then christina sees the pleading in her eyes and the cops waiting at the door to take her away and christina extends it for two weeks she um the patient tries to reach out to christina to just hold her hand i suppose just have some form of human empathy and christina recoils from her And that's just... Well, in this, yeah, in this particular storyline, in this particular moment, you realise how how Christina's coldness, which is sometimes used as a comical device in this show, you can see it flipped the other way and you can see it being really hurtful and it's not comical in this moment at all. And I'm very glad they did that. Charlotte is Meredith's baby. She was the one that had the underdeveloped lungs. Because this baby needs a lot of attention Mare's also left in charge of looking after the mother which Izzy was quite upset about and the next time we we find Meredith goes to counsel the mother she's packing a bag she she needs to leave and Meredith is trying to convince her to stay to be with her babies because they need her she has this brilliant idea called co-bedding and it's basically we don't really know how it works it's one of those nature versus nurture human um reflexes like grasping and suckling where we're just social pack animals physical development will actually be completely and utterly shot in humans if you're not held and nurtured as a child so she has this great idea that one of the ways that she can help both charlotte and alex's baby kate is co-bedding where they put the babies near each other because for some reason it just comforts them there's another way they do it where it's skin to skin contact Um, And human body warmth. Well, they've been living in a womb together for nine months. They've only known being next to each other and on top of each other, basically. So all of a sudden, 
they're out in this new weird surroundings. They've got tubes. It's hard to move and they're all alone. It would be so stressful and they're sick. So putting them back together is probably so comforting. It makes them feel like they, this is what they know instead of everything being so new and scary. Even though they're just tiny little mush balls, they still <laughs> have these like innate in- instincts senses. It's I instincts. Um, yeah. But it works. Um, her baby Charlotte is completely stable, mm-hmm. doing great. Even Bailey says, way to go, which I feel like is not the congratulations that mm-hmm. Bailey would give. No, it's that line stuck out to me like a sore thumb. I was like, that was Bailey, weird, she's right? never said that before. You think Bailey's going to give a high five with that one or some finger guns? Weird. It was a really weird choice. So Meredith goes to get changed in the locker room and we see Izzy. Izzy is completely crushed, completely shattered. It's this. It's basically the end of this really emotional, really lonely day for everyone, but no one as much as Izzy. And she's broken. And it really adds to her brokenness, the way they've styled her, because her hair is wet, so it is all, like, hanging and bedraggled looking and she is slumped over. And it's that complete exhaustion that I feel like lots of people understand. It's Something about the wet hair really adds to this and makes it feel so real. Oh, it's, it's that mood where is it that thing where you've had a really, really long day and all you want to do is have a shower and go to bed and you get in the shower you come out, you're in a towel, and you just sit on the edge of your bed and you just, yeah, you can't move. You're just paralyzed, even though all you want is to, like, yeah. lay down. I get it sometimes, too, if I've got a lot of things on and the shower is my first, first thing I have to do in the morning. And if I'm feeling super overwhelmed, I'll just sit there wrapped in a towel and just be like, oh, my God, I can't believe all the stuff I have to get done today. I feel very paralyzed. I love executive dysfunction it's <laughs> just the worst and that's what izzy's going through just staring into nothingness and meredith has her second bright idea of the day she comes up with a great way to alleviate loneliness i mean look it's a it's a weird decision but it's a good decision in the moment but i have my own feelings <laughs> about this It's a weird decision for three people who are never home, especially a decision that large. Yes, exactly what I am getting at. I understand it's a fun thing for the show to do and it's a cute thing to do in the moment, but uh, maybe they should have just Not romanticised buying a pet on the fly without considering the repercussions of your actions? Yeah, they're never home. They're never there. But it's a very cute scene. Like, if you're going to do it, maybe get a cat. A two, I would say two cats. They keep each other company and they can chill. But they decide to go to the pound and get a dog. And it definitely cheers Izzy up. They bring this big dog home and it's jumping it's a big and dog, playing though. and they're having a cute time. So it does, like, this idea of alleviating the loneliness with an animal. But then they throw the toy to George, who apparently... Wasn't aware they got a dog. Bad housemate. Well, Meredith's the bad housemate in this situation, not Izzy. This wasn't Izzy's decision. (laughs) But it's weird that George doesn't know because they all finished work at the same time. But anyway. Right? That's beside the point. Dogs are for life. They are not a cheer-up gift. 
They are not a Christmas gift, happy birthday gift, Easter gift. They are not a lockdown gift, anniversary gift, congratulations gift. I mean, look, you can if it's like you are very aware that this is something you want for your whole life, its whole life. As a kid, when my adult parents decided it was time for us as a family to get a dog, I did get a dog for a Christmas present, but I feel like that is a very different situation. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's because your parents have sat down and gone over everything that they are going to have to do to prepare themselves for a dog. And not for a housemate, not for a group of three housemate surgical interns. This feels so irresponsible. (sighs) Do you know who I think might have been able to deal with the dog, though? Burke. Because he's certainly trying to train Christina. But he's also never home. Unless he's happy to get, like, a, a, a dog he walker who that. walks the dog every <laughs> yeah. day, which he probably would. But I still don't think that's fair on a dog to be at home by themselves in an apartment all day. So Christina gets back to Burke's place and he's sitting there eating breakfast. He doesn't even look at her as she walks in, which she does very sheepishly. Funny flags. She sits down and she snatches a piece of toast from him and she obviously looks she looks really uncomfortable. If I witnessed that in a friend, that is when I would speak up. I want to love Christina and Burke as a couple so much, but re-watching it, it is not good. <laughs> it is full of red flags. These two should not be together. So hopefully we go into next week with no babies because I think our interns have had enough. Yeah. Another little moment we need to wrap up is Addison admitting to Derek that she's really, really lonely, which is a huge thing to admit when you're in a relationship. Granted, these two are in a very dysfunctional relationship right now, but I still think when you have a person that's meant to be your person, I think it's very common that you can feel lonely, but it is very hard to admit it to your significant other. You don't want them to think that it's their fault because sometimes it can be part of the reason. Um, But fuck me, I would internalise the heck out of that. So I guess by ending on this note with Addie admitting this, we we are left with their relationship being really uncertain again. Because Meredith has spent all episode kind of poking Derek in the ribs about moving out of his trailer. Yeah, she's been extremely perky around Derek this episode. She's like poking fun at him and it's all kind of flirtatious. Um, And she sort of (sighs) gaslights him a little bit and is just like, I didn't think you were the kind of guy who'd move out of his trailer for a woman. It's weird. Yeah, so they're kind of, it's weird. It's a new weird energy for these two. But, look, it's only going to develop and move and morph and change into something else as Addison is experiencing her feelings and they're really trying to figure out if this is the end or a breaking point in their relationship and it's all about to unfold. So thank you so much for coming on this episode journey with us. And thank you for all your ratings and reviews and getting in touch with us because honestly, as we mentioned at the start of the episode, that is why we do this, to have these chats with you guys, to build a little Grey's Anatomy community. So please reach out with any thoughts, any feelings, 
We love it. We love the chats and can't wait to explore another episode with you next week. We'll see you bright and shiny every Tuesday and Thursday. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Ba, ba. Sing it. Ba, 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 ba,